please be advised, this episode may include depictions of murder, sexual content, and foul language that is not suitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Welcome back to Wickedness. I'm Lenny. And I'm back. (laughs) And I'm Matt. Who's back? That's a pretty good way to intro. I like that. We'll just stick with it. Yeah, we're going to go with that. I am not cutting that out. (laughs) You should. So this week uh, was actually a pretty good week, as you could tell from our uh, laughing, I guess. Uh, Me acting a fool. It was serial killer week on Oxygen. So I don't know if uh, our listeners got to watch some of that, but yeah, hey, I I got it. I got it. It was on all day, every day. Yeah, right, I got for the a whole week. major true crime fix in this past week. It was kind of fun. Yep, I'm getting into the groove of my new jobby job, so getting used to that still. Mm-hmm. Uh, still take a little bit of time, as with any any new gig that you're doing. Yeah, we didn't take any impromptu trips this week. It's been kind of chill. Yeah, it has. It's, it's kind been, been peaceful. Nice. Um, not much going on in the Shaver household. Nope. So we're doing pretty good, right? Yeah. The only drawback to, to that is that we don't have anything to share with you guys. No yeah. updates. Like nothing big. <laughs> yeah. Which is not always a bad thing because no. that means there's no drama going on. I like on. no drama. I do too. Drama-free life. I love that. That's why I'm not a psycho killer because I like a drama-free <laughs> life. Like some of these people that we cover. Oh, Right. Oh, gosh. Yep. So, hey, you know, we'll just get right into this wonderfully wicked podcast that we host every week. Yeah. Um, typically, you know, too, so listeners, I think when we go to bed, probably same rituals as others, right? We, When we get in the bed, we're going to do some reading or watch some TV or yeah, maybe a little, we, bit, a little bit of both at the same time. We or do a little the, bit of both usually. We have the TV on in the background while both of us are reading or something. Yep. So, and then, too, I guess with that, being said, you recently finished a book. Yes. Um, that we're kind of covering. No, we're not covering the book, but the story. The storyline. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the story that the book was written about. Because, so I, of course, read true crime books most of the time when I go to bed at night. I don't know why. It's not like it's some fun way to relax in the evening or anything, but I do. And I just finished the one by Ethan Brown called Murder in the Bio. Bio? How do you say that? By you, <laughs> who killed women, known as the Jefferson Davis Eight, and it was a really good book. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to reading it myself, even though we're covering it here and I'm going to hear about it. And I even watched, I think, what documentary stuff. But yeah, I still want to read the book just for more of the details. Yeah, you have to. It's it's a really good book. I recommend that you guys, if you haven't read it, go read it. But that's why I decided 
this story was the one to talk about this week because I couldn't get it out of my brain, so I might as well discuss it. It with is. It, Tell I mean, the story. just just the the name of the book, and it sounds interesting. So I was like, yeah, I want to read that book. That yeah, sounds good. And some of the stuff that you had told me about, then kind of watching that documentary, right, makes me even more want to pick up the book and read it as I read like a million other books at the same mm-hmm. time because that's my habit. Well, I was so into this book, though, that I made him sit down and watch the Showtime docuseries on it with me. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to watch this uh, Showtime series on this book. I just finished. He's like, well, I was about to go work out. Can you wait for me? So I didn't actually make him. He wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> he was kind of interested because of me talking about it. But if you guys want to check it out, it's it's the Showtime docuseries called Murder in the Bayou. And it has interviews with the family, friends, the author of the book. And even one of the main persons of interest is is um, interviewed in it, so it's kind of cool. But here we are trying to do a podcast, a podcast, and talk about it over the Jefferson Davis Eight. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> or there, it's also when I was when I was researching some of the the articles on this story to get different perspectives and everything. They call him Jefferson Davis Eight, Jeff Davis Eight. And Jennings 8. So I was a little confused when I first okay. Googled Jefferson Davis 8 and all these other ones came up. I was like, that's not right. But mm-hmm. it is. It is right. So if you guys Google, know that they're known by a few different names. And then speaking of that, I also struggled with where to start this story because it's a big ass mess of crazy. And I didn't know, like, do I start with the victims? or like, I didn't know where to start. So... Just bear with me as we go through this. I'm hoping it's not a jumbled mess. I originally thought it would be best to start with who are the Jeff Davis eight, but then it kind of took a life of its own and I started just kind of putting together from my own perspective. And so let's just let's just try to do this, okay? Between 2005 and 2009, the bodies of eight women were found in and around Jennings, Louisiana in Jefferson Davis Parish in the swamps and canals that are in that area. Not only these eight women, but apparently there are approximately 17 unsolved murders in this area from 2005 to 2014, but we're only focusing on these eight in this story. However, it's worth mentioning this because the police clearance rate for solving crimes in that area is extremely low, something around 7%, and it could be because of what we're going to talk about in a minute with some police corruption issues. Yeah, that's just crazy. I mean... That low. I mean, if you were under 50% by like 48 or something, that's even crazy. But to be at 7%. Right. 7%. I mean, they have 17 unsolved murders just mm-hmm. in that time frame. Yeah. Including the eight, but still. Yeah. That's that's crazy. That is crazy. So Jennings is a small town in Louisiana with a population of about 10,000, which makes it worse. Because oh. think of the unsolved mm-hmm. murders and there's only 10,000 people in the population and in everybody who knows everybody or somebody yeah, small around town. that town. Mm-hmm. So it's located off of inter- interstate 10, about 170 miles from new Orleans and 175 miles from Houston, Texas. So it's right smack in between the two major cities. This corridor of I-10 is known for its drug trafficking between New Orleans and Houston, and the Jefferson Davis Parish had historically made many drug stops. According to the book Murder in the Bayou, the police in Jefferson Davis Parish would basically take these drugs off the street, have a huge bust, you know, and then someone in their department was stealing some of the drugs from the evidence locker and had people redistributing them back out into the local population. 
So drugs and prostitution and police corruption ran rampant in this small town of 10,000. It's just crazy. And I can imagine, I mean, well, just from watching the documentary and seeing the amount of stuff that they would pull in Mm -hmm. from these drug busts. Yeah. I mean, geez. So rumors flew around town about things happening in the parish jail as well, like abuse and rapes. And there are documented complaints filed against the jail where they had to settle out of court that this stuff was actually happening. Mm -hmm. This parish is not where you want to go to jail because especially females, you wouldn't be safe locked up. It, It was terrifyingly sad, but we'll get into some of that too. The corruption goes all the way back. And because it's a small town, everyone knows everyone and everything so it's possible that these murders are unsolved because people are afraid to speak up when i say it goes way back in 1997 dateline nbc aired an episode titled probable cause based on some rumors that innocent travelers driving on i-10 through the parish were being pulled over and basically suffering police harassment and being robbed legally under forfeiture laws where the police could seize people's property even when no criminal acts were involved. That's could crazy. you imagine that? And yeah. I drove that corridor with my ex-husband several times back back yeah. then. Yeah. You know, on the way because we were in Arizona and going to Florida. Right. To visit his family and we went quite often. Could you I wouldn't have known what to do with myself if they had pulled us over cuz we were yeah. on I-10 right through that area. Mm-hmm. But during this segment of Dateline they had an undercover car equipped with hidden cameras. And you guys can watch this actually on YouTube. It's it's on YouTube. I watched it. But they had an undercover car equipped with hidden cameras. And the driver was also equipped with a hidden camera. And they were pulled over. What happened after the episode aired, though, ended up causing more issues for the police department. Because now there were outside agencies looking at them and the reputation of the police were jeopardized in that area. Yeah. And then too, what I liked is they put a governor on that car to only get up to a 65 miles per hour. Yeah. Making sure it stayed at the speed limit or under and they still got pulled over, Yeah, which they would, that's what they, they said also on there that they were, you know, then make whatever kind of excuse to pull people over. Yeah. They were, I mean, do these searches. Yeah. It was, it was not like what they were doing. And you guys got to, I mean, if you're really interested, if you get into the story, like we did go watch the, the two part, uh, YouTube dateline episode from 1997, because it, it just kind of turned your stomach. It's like, it's not even racial profile profiling so much. It's just, they were stopping everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. It, it's nuts if you made it through that corridor like I did when I was a kid. You just got lucky because they had other people stopped. At that Probably, time. you know, just timing thing. But I believe that their their reputation was jeopardized with good reason. So, it, you know, they have a lot to make up for. Mm-hmm. But I give this background to show that there was existing corruption in the police force in that area before the first body of the Jeff Davis 8 was found. And to show that we should pay attention to the possible corruption that is most likely the reason these murders are still unsolved. I mean, honestly, if you had true blue police force down there, it probably they probably would. I mean, I would like to say that they would have actually applied themselves and solved the case yeah. before you had eight victims. I feel like I feel like so because of what <clears throat> is known about some of the things that went on mm-hmm. in the police. So, with that in mind, let's fast forward. About eight years to May 20th, 2005, a man was fishing in a canal on the outskirts of Jennings in Jefferson Davis Parish. When he cast his line in the water, he looked down and saw what he originally thought was a mannequin in the water. 
Apparently, at that time, some mannequins had been reported missing, and so his initial thought was that what he was is that's what he was seeing. But he said that he noticed flies were hovering on the body, and he knew then that this must be a real body because flies wouldn't swarm a mannequin like that. So he then called 911, and the police came to retrieve the body. They found out that it was the body of 28-year-old Loretta Chazon Lewis, a known prostitute with a crack addiction. Her body was too decomposed to determine cause of death, though asphyxiation was noted. The finding of Loretta's body started a mystery that's still alive today. She's the first of the Jeff Davis eight. Almost a month later, a second body was found on June 18th, 2005. 30-year-old Ernestine Daniels Patterson's body was found in a different canal on the same side of town as Loretta by some men who were out gigging frogs late one night. She was also a known prostitute who knew the first victim. You'll see that they all knew each other in some way. Yeah, there's some kind of trend or, or right. some kind of connection. Mm-hmm. For, for sure. all of the victims. I mean, not all of them knew <clears throat> each other personally, face-to-face, but or were related. But the connection, like so-and-so's cousin was so-and-so's friend who lived with so-and-so. And they were all connected. Like, it's it's a... Crazy. Well, and it's a small town again, like we were talking about. And what's the six degrees right. of, of who? Was Kevin it? Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Yes, thank you. I wanted to say Brad Pitt. But six degrees of Kevin Bacon, that's exactly this yeah, right yeah, here. Yeah, pretty much the same concept. So Ernestine, um, her throat had been cut. So unlike Loretta, who was, you know, who died from asphyxiation, they were they determined her Ernestine's throat had been cut. So it's believed that that was her cause of death. And two men were actually held in connection with her death, but were later released with no charges being filed. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. So the next two years were quiet, though, with no answers on the investigation into the two women's deaths when a third woman was found. On March 18, 2007, the body of 21-year-old Kristen Gary Lopez was found in another canal in the same general area as the first two victims. Again, her body was too decomposed to determine cause of death, but it was noted that asphyxiation was the most likely cause. Two people were initially arrested. Local Jennings pimp Frankie Richard. I, I want to say Frankie Richard, but mm-hmm. they, they pronounce it Richard. And his niece and goddaughter, Hannah Connor. But both were released due to lack of evidence, which is really kind of weird to me that the two of them were were arrested in, a, in you know, in association with mm-hmm. her death. Yeah. Well, they don't ever really talk about why did they arrest them though no from they, this like get into like what kind of evidence what kind of information did they have i think it was tips informants something like that i don't know well I don't, that's another thing about the cops is is where you feel like there's some corruption there because watching even the documentary mm-hmm. they didn't get into details too much it was it was i won't say it was surface well, level well it has to be surface level because technically it's an, well, it's an case. ongoing case that's mm-hmm. what i was kind of thinking it's in unsolved. my mind right when i said that i was thinking yeah. that a little bit and you beat me to the punch but <laughs> okay yeah i get that but i don't know i mean i, I think there could be more that I, was that was given out to the public a little bit but i understand uh, i mean you got it i felt like that la- the, okay the chief of police who was there, mm-hmm. that was always the great excuse. Oh, yeah. yeah. The gr- oh, that's a perfect excuse for, for them, yeah. which it may be true well, and factual. And we'll talk about that mm-hmm. coming up, but it's, yeah, it's... It's still like, 
Yeah, I get the Still excuse of saying, his, like, the well, it's an open cloud. investigation, so I can't talk about that. Yep. It's my my end-all be-all. Yep. Yeah, and he stuck to it very mm-hmm. well. But a few months later, on May 12, 2007, the body of 26-year-old Whitney Dubois was found nude, though she was not found in a canal. She's also the only one that was found nude. She was found lying in a roadway near the intersection of Bobby Road and Earl Duhon Road in a fetal position. The state of decomposition was said to be too much to determine the cause of death. And she was the first vic- of the victims to be found outside of a canal. And I don't know if you, is this the one that um, the one gentleman was with his, was it a brother, brother-in-law or friend or cousin or something like that? And he kind of, he turned on that road and kind of went around it. Yeah, and he that felt was like that he, story. He knew that that body was there before mm-hmm. they went by it. Yeah, yeah. Because he was later went back by, it was like, oh, it's nothing or whatever. Well, they, they tried called. to say it was a deer or something. Yeah, he did. And his friend or his brother, whoever, relative was like, mm, I think it was a relative. I'm remember. pretty sure. I'm, I think it was a like a brother-in-law or something like that or cousin. But he was like, mm, I don't know. You know, let's no, it's a deer. You're just overthinking this here. Yeah, but then you know they also had drugs in the car and and alcohol. So they they I mean hours went by even after the first sighting of her body before he went back and said, yeah, that is a body and called it in. Yeah, like they just left it out there. Right. Care to you know protect yourself? I well, guess. I could I can see that. Yeah, I guess part of me too. Self-preservation. A year would pass with no leads or updates on the investigation into these four deaths when the fifth victim was found. 23-year-old Laconia Muggy Brown was found on May 29, 2008 by a Jennings police officer on Rocker Road, which is the road leading to the police firing range. Her cause of death was just like Ernestine's. Her throat was slit. She was the first body found within the city limits of Jennings. Everyone else was kind of on the outskirts. Still in Jefferson Davis Parish, Mm -hmm. but just outside of Jennings. Several months later, on September 11th, 2008, a group of hunters discovered the body of victim number six, 24-year-old Crystal Benoit Zeno. Her body was found laying on a levee in a wooded area south of Jennings near a dry irrigation canal. Her body was so badly decomposed that it took nearly two months to identify her, and the cause of death has not been released to the public. Although another article I read said that they later did release that all the ones who didn't have their throat slit were asphyxiation. Mm -hmm. A couple of months later, on November 15, 2008, the seventh body was found. 17-year-old Brittany Gary's body was found by a searcher on Keystone Road off on the roadside. She had been reported missing 24 hours before she left her house to go to the local family dollar, where she purchased minutes for her cell phone and never returned home. Her mom reported her missing, and she and several others searched for her, for her on their own, not relying on the police. Because at this point, police haven't given anything to anyone in that area on the previous murders. Yeah. And her mom feared the worst because of the previous victims, and she was right. M- my opinion is they took it on themselves because there was no progress in the case for the previous six victims, and she most likely assumed there wouldn't be any in this case either, and she just wanted to find her daughter. She just needed that closure. Yeah. You and know, her cause of death was also noted to be asphyxiation. And you, this one here, they they put in a deal about her being missing, but I wonder were any of the other victims, was it just not that long of a gap before they were like, hey, 
this person's missing. No, I think some of them were reported missing, but most of them weren't because of their lifestyle. Yeah. They, they, I mean, it was even I know noted, they talked about benders yeah, and... They, they'd be gone for weeks or months at a time on a bender and, and they wouldn't hear anything and then suddenly they'd just show up again one day. So if that's someone's pattern... You don't. You don't report them missing. Right. Unfortunately. So... It was around this same time after Brittany Gary's body was found on December 2008 or in December of 2008 that the then sheriff Ricky Edwards formed a task force to focus on these cases they believed were linked. So the thing here is that it makes me a little and other people, too. I I mean, I'm sure, but it makes me a little angry that you waited till seven victims were found before you decide to form a task force. There were even rumors going around about a possible serial killer in the area, yet you still wait yeah. to put a task force together. Yeah. I think my number where I would put a task force would be three. I think so, too. Like I would right like to then, think three Right is, there. That's when I'm kind of... Three is I'm when really, you hey. make something happen. So the task force consisted of local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies. However, in spite of the formation of a joint task force, victim number eight was found on August 19th, 2009, 26-year-old Nicole Guillory's body was found on the side of I-10 in Acadia Parish, near Jeff Davis Parish, by a highway worker who was mowing the lawn. She was the only one found outside of Jefferson Davis Parish, but she counted as a Jeff Davis 8 victim because she lived in Jennings, had family in Jennings, was a known prostitute and drug user there. She had ties to Jennings with her own cousin, Terry Guillory, working as the warden of the local jail. Her death really lends to the mystery to the deaths of all the victims because according to her mother's statement, Nicole had a premonition of her death and told her she wouldn't be there for her birthday that was coming up. And eerily enough, her body was found about a week before her birthday. Also, her mom has reportedly said that Nicole also told her that the police were responsible for the deaths of the other women, and it was only a matter of time before she was dead too. Of course, none of this can be corroborated because Nicole is dead, but why would her mom say that she said those things if yeah. she didn't? And I, I find that very eerie. Do you think, too, you know, with the formation of the task force and then this killer that put her, you know, a lot easier to be found and kind of, aha, uh-huh, look at... I think so, yeah. yeah like, I personally think it was kind of a, I got, I got, I got another one. I got another didn't one. Do anything. Bagged another one here. Yeah. Yep. It's noted that that fall, after they discovered the eighth victim, the sheriff announced to the public that could be the work of a, quote, common offender, because he didn't want to use the term serial killer. And the the task force doubled the reward they were offering for information leading to the killer of the Jeff Jeff Davis eight. So Mm -hmm. they were actually offering a reward. The task force was at least trying to make it look like they were doing something. So now we know the eight victims of the Jeff Davis eight were killed and found in the same vicinity of each other. It's important to note that this small town is clearly divided by North and South side. So North side Jennings is where the quote rich people live, the doctors, lawyers, politicians, et cetera. And the South side of Jennings where the rest of the people live and, and it's, divided by a railroad track. It's kind of like the whole um, cliche, you came from the wrong side of the tracks. Yeah, yeah, so it really is. If you're from the south side of Jennings, you're across the road, you're from the wrong side of the tracks. So according to some of the residents of Jennings, if any of the women who had been murdered had been from the north side, the case would have been solved. They are very adamant about that. Yeah. But because they were all from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak, 
they aren't putting effort into it. So that's a, a common complaint that you hear too whenever you're researching and, and you know you're watching things on this case. People are pissed about that divide, yeah. and they think if there's no police corruption, that's why it hasn't been solved because they they just don't care. Dregs of society type women. But these women aren't only linked by living on the south side of Jennings. They have friends and family in common. And since Jennings is such a small community, they all know each other or, or have heard of each other. So yeah. it, it shouldn't make a difference where you and that's north and south side. Like people still know you. Yeah. They still know who you are, even if they're not hanging out with you. So it was noted in the book Murder in the Bayou that the victims had connections to each other, to the suspects and to the local police. They were connected to each other because some of them knew each other personally. Some were related. Kristen Gary Lopez and Brittany Gary were cousins. They all shared common traits as well as, you know, by living on the south side of Jennings, having a history of drug abuse and sex work. The main link was that all the women were police informants. That's something that where every single one, every single one of them was uh, a police see, that's, informant. That's like real kind of yeah, skeptical they, there. Yeah, they they would inform on local drug trade in the area, and they were noted to have provided information against other Jeff Davis eight victims prior to becoming one themselves. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna make up a couple of names because I don't want to say this is what happened. Like, so Susan, who was victim number twelve had dimed out Loretta, who was victim number one. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For something mm-hmm. before she became victim number 12. Well, Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. So yep. that that was a link, too, that, that I found really interesting. And that kind of points back to that police corruption story. Oh, yeah. So another interesting fact was that Kristen Lopez was present when police shot and killed a drug dealer named Leonard Crochet in 2005, along with several individuals connected to the Jeff Davis 8 case, including Alvin Bootsy Lewis, who fathered a child with victim Whitney Dubois, and is also the brother-in-law of the first victim, Loretta Chasson Lewis. A grand jury investigated the shooting and determined that there was no probable cause for a charge of negligent homicide against the police, even though a Louisiana State Police investigation into the crochet shooting concluded that he was unarmed when he was shot to death by law enforcement. Kind of shady. Yeah. So, however, witnesses told investigators they believed the police had killed many of the victims because of what they knew about the shooting of Leonard Crochet. So they think that people started dying because of this incident. Oh. So that just brings home the theory that the police are involved and that there was never a serial killer in Jeff, Jeff Davis Parish, which would also explain why the crimes are unsolved, because this is a police cover-up. This theory is strongly denied by the police, of course, you know, because oh, there's yeah. it doesn't hold any weight. Like no. nothing saying that this is true, but it's a theory. The crazy thing to me is that with this theory, people have found that the task force investigative reports show a series of witness interviews where local police were implicated in the murders. Statements from two female inmates noted suspects working with sheriff's office um, to dispose of evidence in the Kristen Gary Lopez case. The sergeant who took the statements from these inmates was forced out of his job and the stories were ignored. Oh, geez. I know, right? So, again, kind of lends to, like, there. if the police didn't have anything to do with this and they weren't involved and they didn't have a reason to cover that up, then this kind of stuff doesn't make you look like you aren't. 
Right. You know, it doesn't help you oh, yeah. look It doesn't good. plead your case as far as trying to look like you're a stand-up right. police department. Right. It's worth noting that the sheriff's office chief criminal investigator, Warren Gary, was also accused of purchasing a truck that was said to have been used to transport one of the bodies of the victims, Kristen Gary Lopez, and may have had blood evidence inside it. Like it was the murder scene and not just used for transporting the body to a dump site. Warren Gary purchased the truck from Connie Seilers, then washed it and sold it for profit. He was later fined $10,000 for an ethics violation due to this purchase and sale of the truck. And that was it. No suspension, didn't get fired, just basically a slap on the wrist. This incident, along with a few others, made locals start doubting their sheriff was good for the job since he could have taken care of that and, you know, by firing him or letting go something. And this led to more rumors of police involvement and cover-ups. Like, they were not doing themselves any favors in this stuff. Yeah. In 2009, the sheriff did order that every investigator working on the Jeff Davis 8 case be swabbed for DNA to try to pacify the public and look like he was doing something good about the rumors trying to do something. But the results of those DNA swabs were never released to the public and no comments have been made about them. So yeah, that doesn't do anything yeah, for you either. Do, yeah. It seems like you're trying to hide something you found. Right. So some other suspects were the two arrested in Ernestine's death, Byron Chad Jones and Lawrence Nixon. And I like this theory. So locals, they, they were both local men in Jennings who were released after months of being held due to insufficient evidence and unreliable witnesses. I couldn't find much on them, but it seems to me that they did have reason to arrest them and tr try to bring secondary murder charges on them. Because from what I could find, it had something to do with this story. The two men picked Ernestine up for a threesome and stabbed her to death in an abandoned house. But we know the problem I have here is that we know her throat was slit, but mm -hmm. maybe they said stabbed to death, but they meant slit her throat. Still, a knife is involved. Yeah. So then putting her body into a plastic garbage bag, they then reportedly went to Lawrence's house where his wife said they had left his this garbage bag on the front porch and it was leaking blood. So after they left and took the garbage bag, she rinsed off the blood from the porch, you know, with a water hose. Yeah. But when this was reported to the police, it took them two years to go and test the porch. There's nothing left. Yeah. Two years. Wow. Later. Mm -hmm. Like you might have had a chance if you went right after you heard the story or yeah, something, yeah. but two years to go and try and test for blood that could have lent to, if they had found her blood, that would have made that story viable. And then maybe Ernestine's not one of the Jeff Davis eight. And then two, if they her asked and, she, and her freaking murder is solved. Right. Yeah. But you didn't, you didn't do that. Did they, you know, and then did they just test the top of the boards? Did they pull them up just to see because the blood? I don't know. Didn't I don't I mean, know what kind of test they did, but apparently they didn't find anything. I just don't feel like it was probably the best of tests. Well, and I mean, let's also look at the other side. Let's just say that that was just a crap story that wasn't even true. Mm -hmm. Like they didn't pick up Ernestine. They didn't have sex with her. They didn't kill her in an abandoned house and they didn't bag her body in a, like this was someone else, the police or a serial killer or whatever. And not those two guys. I mean, they did, they did release them. So you're saying the girlfriend or whatever is just making it up? Yeah. Possibly? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're... Uh, she's mad. So she's maybe. making up a crazy story. Yeah, oh, Ernestine's dead. I know her. Let me say this. Yeah. I mean, you never know. You don't. You don't know anything because 
the police don't know anything. So then finally, the last and in my opinion, most likely suspect or person of interest in this case is Frankie Richard. And I do want to just note that he has passed away in the last year or two. But he is on the docuseries and he he did get interviewed and he's not around anymore to defend himself. But he was known to be the local pimp in the area. All the girls knew him. They smoked crack with him and they worked for him. He was reported to constantly have these girls over getting high. Not just these girls, but a lot of local girls. He basically gave them free drugs. He was uh, also a local strip club owner. And he admitted to being a crack addict, had many run-ins, as well as connections with local police, was said to get out of many charges that he was arrested for or have warrants forgiven or charges dropped that shouldn't have been. He seemed very friendly with many local police officers. His involvement includes someone saying that Frankie actually confessed to two of the murders, though this was never corroborated by Frankie. He denied it 100%. One was... Whitney Dubois, who the informant claimed that, that Frankie told him that he killed her in a small trailer out behind his mom's house and then kept her body in a 50-gallon drum behind the house for a while before um, he dumped her body. The other was Kristen Gary Lopez, and he and his niece Hannah Connor were arrested for involvement in her murder, but charges were dropped and they were released due to lack of evidence. They reportedly dumped the body and helped spray out the truck with Warren Gary, the police officer who got fined, after he purchased it from Connie Seilers. Mm -hmm. So they that's where their involvement was. Yeah. And another strange piece of information, but not a suspect or person of interest, just another police connection that makes you think, is that of Terry Guillory. He was the eighth Jeff Davis victim, Nicole Guillory's cousin, and he was warden of the Jefferson Davis Jail. He was said to have sexual relationships with many of the victims, with main ties between him and Loretta Chazon, the first victim. A confidential informant claimed she witnessed Terry coming into Loretta's jail cell one night and having intercourse with her. Not only that, but he was seen dropping some of the victims off in town, and he was supposed, supposedly to have brought Loretta home from a stint in jail once. And this blew her mom's mind because... That same courtesy had never been offered to her when she was released from jail. Yeah. She she mentions this on the docuseries and it cracked me up. I was like, yeah, I I mean, I went to jail one time and and they didn't volunteer to take me home. Right. So and and come on, people, I'm not a crook. I'm not a criminal. I went to jail once. It's a long, <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> it was noted that Terry had these ties to the south side of Jennings because that's where he grew up. So he knew them from growing up with them, which isn't surprising. And it's possible that you can have a relationship on the side, you know, on the side with someone without killing them. But this guy was said to be kind of crooked in his dealings and what he would, you know, that he would trade favors with the girls. They would, I mean, and this is, of course, I think they were his informant too. So they would give up something or someone associated with the drug trade and he would make a charge or warrant disappear or release them from jail early. Yeah. Something like that. So he had connections also with Frankie Richard, which I found kind of strange. Like he was seen talking to Frankie on Frankie's front porch, not, um, not in a, I'm on duty kind of thing, not in uniform, but as like, he was just visiting, just stopped by to visit. Yeah. And he and his wife were on Frankie's front porch, just shooting the shit. Right. So well, and then so this whole thing, like the bodies of the victims. Well, hang on. I I mean, I just want to say, no charges were ever brought up 
against Terry for anything. Yeah. And he's still working in law enforcement to this day. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. I'm not saying that he did anything or anything like that, but I do. I mean, that that's a connection that they talk about mm -hmm. in the book and in many articles that I read and in the, the docuseries. Yeah. And I feel like these killings, I mean, there might've been sexual involvement in them, but I think they were more, they were killed just to be killed because of their involvement in with the police and being informants and having I, to, yes, that would they be, were they were made to do deals possibly and now they were they were canned. Well then and and yeah and you know what in thinking in that in those terms let's just take the police corruption out of it all and say that the police are doing their job and they're trying really hard right but these girls all have that informant thing in common so they're diming out people in the local area who are dealing drugs and stuff and frankie was a heavy like he was the big mm -hmm. drug dealer in the area he yep. controlled all that kind of stuff yep. and and they admit to all that even he admits and to it and he's getting so rid of the maybe it was frank and this is why i tend to think frankie's my favorite suspect because he he would have more to gain from it yeah let me get rid of these girls so that they don't be telling my shit anymore well then too you know and they're let's say the police were involved with it but they're also in cahoots with frankie but they're also telling Frankie, who's kind of diamond out, who, mm -hmm. yeah, we're keeping the lower people and we're getting people, you know, put in jail. Um, but we're also, we're giving you the name of who's who's putting them away and the, that don't connect mm -hmm. him with anything. And he's yeah. getting rid of them. I mean, it could be, could be that I too. mean, it's such a, a web of things that could be going on here. The one thing that I did read in a lot of, um, in a lot of the articles is that the likelihood of it being a true serial killer is slim to none. Mm -hmm. It has to be someone who knew them all because one serial killers don't usually kill people associated with each other. They kill at random. So their victims are spread across the board. It's going to be Mary Jane from Catholic school and it's going to be Susan from the pharmacy and it's going to be, or, or, you know, I mean, let's, let's back that up. They could all be prostitutes, but that would be the only link. They're not going to be prostitutes who are hanging out together and they're not all going to be in the same town. And they, I mean, definitely not all going to be in the same yeah. town, that kind of stuff. Like serial killers are not like that. They, I think it was they're stupid, but they are not that stupid. So I, I don't. I th yeah, I don't think it was a serial killer. Let's say, mm -mm. but if let's say if it was uh, Richard, yeah, he was a he was a serial killer in the way that he is he's doing this because he's taking these girls out. Because that's more of, because like a, a hitman. A hitman. Type thing. It's more of a hitman. Um, yeah, it's more of a serial hitman. killers are, they have a drive and a need to do these things. To right. People. Right. Whereas I think if you're just being killed to be shut up, he was more of a hitman. That's yeah. a better term. Yeah. I'm That's gonna, a better term. Yeah. I'm going to go with, he that was one. more, and it was a hitman for himself. Exactly. Possibly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Taking care of his own. Or he was a hitman for himself and the police. Who I mean, knows? it was a whole thing. It could be a whole bunch of stuff. And it, or cops also you know, taking the hits out. But anyway, well, that's and I think my they mentioned thought. too that there could have been more like some, some people have a theory that there was not just one person doing this. Like there was a group of them handling this stuff. Yeah. Which is scary. I could see that. So another thing to note is that Danny Barry, who was another local jailer was said to be abusive to inmates, macing them for no reason while they were locked up in their jail cells. He also was known to pick up sex workers, take them to his house when he had where he had like a sort of S&M thing going on in a back room of his trailer. 
he and his wife would get high with the girls, then take them to the back room. A witness claimed that they saw Brittany Gary getting into a truck with Danny Berry on the last night she was seen alive. However, prior to Danny's death, he denied having ever known Brittany Gary. And he, apparently he he's passed away. Yeah. So, of course, he denied any involvement. Another one. Yeah. And then another thing to note is former Sheriff Ricky Edwards. He was voted in with promise and people loved him. Like they were like, yeah, this guy's going to make change. He's going to do so many good things for us. Until his inability to provide answers on these cases. he His seeming inability to control his police officers, the rumors of corruption under his administration, and so much more caused them to lose faith. This is the guy that we were talking about earlier who, like, he hid behind the it's an open investigation phrase. Like, that was his catchphrase. He held a press conference, and these families are like, we haven't heard shit from the police. Not one thing. No updates. Nothing. Not even to say we haven't found anything. They weren't contacting anyone and they were really feeling left out of the loop and he still didn't didn't try to explain himself didn't try to like just promise to try to to get get it solved it was it's kind of sad but yeah in 2012 sheriff ivy woods took his place swearing to make this investigation his highest priority and here it is 2021 and there seems to be absolutely no change there's nothing new on the case that i could find except for you know, Frankie Richard passed away. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, this case is still unsolved, and it's still a huge mystery. I'm hoping that one day we'll hear that there is an update. And if there are, I mean, if they ever come out with that or anything, and we're still doing this podcast at that time, we'll definitely do a bonus. But um, it's, it's... It would be great if there was, but I'm kind of feeling there won't be. Yeah, I, that's, I would love to say that they can finally bring some closure to the families at the very least. But that's not happening. Yeah. And it's and unfortunate. It's, yeah, it's heartbreaking it actually is. because these families deserve to have answers and yeah. someone like needs to be held accountable. Even if they've passed away, mm-hmm. something needs to be done. And, yeah. and but what do you do? Yeah. I mean, it's been a long time now. Oh yeah. But yeah. So that's that's this week's stories. I hope you guys liked it. Yeah, I hope you guys did like it. And we'll post the links to the website. So go check it out at Wickedness True Crime and the Unknown.com. Email us at Wickedness True Crime at Yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you. Follow us on Instagram at Wickedness True Crime or check us out on Anchor at anchor.fm slash Wickedness, where you can also support us if you feel like it by clicking on that support button. <laughs> and last but not least, rate and review us on your favorite listening platform so we can get our podcast out to more people. And thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye.